0: Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are Christian Disciples in Mission. My name is Jill McMahon. Let me just start right there. It is an honor to be a part of this day. Um, This is my home parish. I'm a mental health professional. I specialize specifically in grief, trauma, and loss. It is something that I have done for 18 years now. So what I specialize in is loss to suicide heavy-duty stuff. I call myself the rainbows and tulips therapist um, because I get to deal with heavy loads every single day, but it is my honor to do so, and I feel like this was the work I was chosen to be in. So for those of you that are in the room, and I have heard rumored that there's like 150 of you, FYI, I got the email this week that I was speaking in Finland, and I literally responded by saying, I think I'm going to throw up now. Can somebody please just put me back in the Daily Mass Chapel? Please, please. I like that space. Um, For those of you that are in the room, how many of you have heard me speak before? Gulp. Okay. I'm not shy. I'm going to tell you that. It is not that I have performance anxiety in any way, shape, or form. It's just if you came back a second time, I hope that I don't disappoint. Okay. So um, there is a lot to cover today, and... I'm assuming because you're in this room, you are a parent or a grandparent or you know a parent. I will tell you first and foremost, not only am I a trauma and grief therapist, but I'm a mom. I have two kids. I have a 15-year-old, oh my goodness, my baby just turned 15. She's over in the church helping volunteer today. Um, That goes to Notre Dame. And I have a 19-year-old whom is a sophomore at University of Arizona, no. University of Oregon. He's a duck. I consider him my spirit animal. I love that boy. I love them both deeply, but he's my spirit animal. It's hard to have your spirit animal all the way across the country, I will tell you that. So as I'm speaking to you, I'm not speaking to you just as a mental health professional. I'm not speaking to you as somebody that reads all of the research that, you know, does all of this one-on-one work. I'm also speaking to you as a parent, I'm speaking to you specifically as an SUSD parent, and I'm also speaking to you as a parish member. So I'm gonna say we're all friends right here. We all got a lot in common, right? We're all living the same thing day in and day out. So I get to talk to you guys today about anxiety. It is something that I am seeing a lot of in my practice. So I may be a grief therapist, but I will tell you, this last week, this last year, I have gotten more calls about anxious teens than anything else. Not my specialty, but something that I can handle, something that I can tackle, and something that I see within my own house. I'm watching my children's friends try to battle anxiety. So let me build this up a little bit. Again, 45 minutes is not a long time to talk about this topic. I'm going to give you some background. It all has to deal with anxiety. Let's talk about our kids today. So how many of you in here have elementary school-age children? Holy smokes! You all are so much younger than me. Oh. Uh. OK, middle school-age children. High school. This is so exciting. Okay, this is excellent. Yo, high schoolers, just saying. Um, I get to talk to so many of you that have littles. This is a good thing. I'm going to be really honest with you, though. I'm always honest. You are the hardest group to break through on this topic with. It's so crazy. So I was able to speak to Stepping Stones and Life Teen Um, All of those parents earlier this fall on busyness, which bleeds into anxiety, and I will tell you the parent group that I had the most challenge with, elementary, and I wasn't, I was really surprised by that, actually, Um, but I get it, and I, and I understand why, so I'm so glad you're here, because I want you guys to hear this, because you can make the greatest impact, and you guys can actually make the greatest change, so... Our kids are not working 9 to 5. We, we've always been raised and taught that we work 9 to 5, and that's really hard, and our kids just have to go to school, um, which it's more than just going to school. Obviously, that is their job. It's not 9 to 5 anymore. Studies will tell you it's 6 to midnight. So I want you to think about that for a second, because that sounds like, oh, not my kid. That's everybody else's kid, because I don't do that to my kid. Just give it a second. High schools are starting earlier to adhere to afternoon athletics and extracurricular activities than they have been in the past. School may get out, let's say around three, but typically there's two to four hours of after school activities for each kid. Even if they're not involved in band or sports, they may be going in to meet with a teacher to study, they may be on student council, they may be um, working on a project with other classmates. After that then of course we have the games And then we have the concerts. And then we have more meetings with peers. And yes, we have youth youth group as well. The third shift of their work is really their homework. So let's just say, depending on your house, all hypothetical, let's just say that starts at 6 or 7. Okay, so they've already had two shifts. They're little, you guys. I don't care if we're talking about an 18-year-old. They're young. They're fatigued by that point. Then they're doing their homework, and believe it or not, I'm going to weave into that regiment socialization, OK? So homework, that's, you know, the average Joe homework, I think, is challenging enough. But we have so many kids these days in the, in the gifted programs, in the AB programs, in the accelerated this, that, and the other thing, tack on like another hour or two to their homework schedule. Okay. Believe it or not, somewhere in there they have to manage their social life. So you and I think they're social all day long. They're at school, they're at sports, they're on their phones. Think back to your childhood. Were you doing all of these things after school? Not likely. I was quizzing people this week. I was talking to high school counselors this week. My husband and I sat down and had a long conversation. He was like, Jill, are you kidding me? He was an avid, avid baseball player, like thought that was gonna be his dream in his life as all of us thought we were gonna be something really famous at one point, right? Um, He's like, (laughs) my practices up until high school were Tuesday, Thursday, one hour game on Saturday. That was the norm. Take yourselves back, right? So they really don't have a lot of time for socialization. Socialization to them is keeping up with a streak, making sure they've checked their Instagram, texting or FaceTiming their peers, which drives all of us crazy. But that is so much a part of who they are developmentally and who they should be developmentally. They don't socialize in the same way we did. They don't have as much time as you guys think they do to socialize. I would have been on the phone for two to four hours. Okay, four was a lot. But if I liked the boy, I would have been on the phone for four hours. I would have been sneaking phone calls into wee hours of the night. I had a separate phone in my room that had a separate ring. Right. If you got two rings, beep, beep, your parents didn't answer it because they knew it was for you. That was like the coolest invention in the 80s ever. When they're on their phones and they're FaceTiming and they're snapping, believe it or not, that is an expectation for their age. They are expected to do those things to stay connected socially with their peers. So they work from 6 to midnight. I just want you to maybe... Expand your mind on that a little bit. For your kids, maybe it's 10 p.m. It's still a really long work day. It's important for us to know when we're talking about anxiety and when we're talking about what our kids are going through now to understand the developmental stages. So there's five stages of development. Physical, intellectual, social, emotional, and moral. Physical, their bodies are growing really, really fast. Intellectual, growing faster than their bodies. Social, ebbs, flows, and changes depending on... Third grade to fourth grade is a huge developmental year. Huge, be prepared if you don't already, if you haven't already experienced that, just ask your third or fourth grade teacher. There's a lot of hormones at that time. Emotional, always so challenging for these kids. Until they're about 24, 25, believe it or not, they do not feel solidified in their emotional confidence. 24, 25, they're learning all about where they land on their moral um, playground. Different stages, zero to two, we all know how quickly the brain develops. Zero to two, we all know how much the body develops. Two to seven, seven to 12, so there's that seven to 12, there's that third grade, right? Third grade through part of middle school and 12 to adulthood. Adulthood now, psychologically and developmentally, a female, it used to be 18 and 21 that the brain was fully developed. 18 for a female, 21 for a male. Hate to break it to ya, It's now 25, 24, 25 for a female, 28 for a male. Snicker girls. I know y'all want to snicker. We always knew that. They can't make real, concrete decisions without there being some type of deficit in their thinking pattern until roughly 25 to 28. I was married and had a child by then. Wow. I want to talk about 7 to 12 because I think I have a lot of you parents in here. When my uh, daughter or my son, I don't remember who at this point, went to middle school. I remember um, going and listening to the principal speak. And she had told us, you know, this is what to expect. I know you're all nervous. Your babies are all growing up and they're all going to this big bad school where you know, they don't stay with one homeroom teacher all day. They have to move around. And I know you're all very, very anxious. What I need to tell you is that there is just as much brain development in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade as there is from 0 to 5. Wow. So when we, you know, we think about toddlers and kids and how much they're learning, and they learn you know, 10 new letters a day, and they can understand the concept of light versus dark, and they are just growing and developing every single second, squeeze those five years into three years into a middle school aged body, their brain is on fire It is firing off all day long. No wonder we all historically think that middle schoolers are very challenging. Add hormones onto that. Those poor kids cannot keep up with with what is going on in their bodies. Okay, so what's necessary for development? Here's where we get into the juice. Lack of rest impacts functioning there is zero, nada, no way around it. Kids ages six to 12 require nine to 12 hours of sleep. Think about your own houses, your own homes. 13 to 19 require eight to 10 hours of sleep. Lack of proper rest impacts brain plasticity and adaptability. Let me explain to you what that means. Their little brains that are soaking in so much information and coming up and understanding all of these new concepts are very, very pliable. They are very, very resistant. They're not old and archaic and filled with, you know, metal like ours are. Ours are not very resilient at this age. They can accept so much. They can bring in, soak in so much that is being thrown their way without proper rest their brain loses that ability. Without proper rest, they lose emotional regulation, which we all know that they're struggling with. And actually, they're working really hard. You may think that your kid or your neighbor's kid or that kid that bullies your child is off the handle all the time, needs to learn how to control their emotions. Trust me, they're working at it, even if you don't think that they're working at it. Cognitive control, being able to stop and focus, even though there's 17 things going on over here, That's a skill that takes practice. And when their brain is not properly rested, they have a much more challenging time controlling these two things that are the most challenging for them to start with, Okay. Sleep reinforces brain connectivity and learning abilities. So believe it or not, there really are pathways between your right brain and your left brain. They're like um, tunnels, and lack of sleep means that information is not going from one side to the next. It's not moving back and forth as readily and as easily. There's more bumps in the road. The tunnel is closed. So during sleep, memory is turned into a form that makes future learning easier. What that means is, your kids may not even may go to the mall today, and they may see a movie, and they may not even realize that they're learning anything, but they're soaking in different life experiences from that movie. They're watching a movie and they're watching how people run away. They're watching how people escape. They're watching how people treat other people with empathy. And when they they may not be thinking anything about it, but when they go to sleep, all of those life lessons for the day actually become committed to memory as if it happened to you. Or maybe it was an event that happened to you. So once it's committed to memory, it helps you the next time that a fact or information comes in. You already have some of that memory. So when they don't have proper rest, it's almost like they're starting over. It's asking a first grader to understand third grade information. Make sense? I'm not sure I'm explaining that very well. Um, It made sense to me when I read it. So what that means is they always feel like they're catching up because their brain doesn't have all of the information stored in there as it should because during restful, sleepful hours, the brain did not commit it to memory. So kids may have difficulties learning, they may feel like they're falling behind, they may feel like they're not understanding things that other children are understanding, although they sat in the same lecture and they watched the same movie and they did the same science project. Maybe that night, that science project wasn't committed to memory. So when they see it a second time or they see it a third time, it's like they're experiencing it for the first time. All of the sudden, it creates self-doubt. It creates worry. It creates, I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I'm a freak. It creates anxiety. Now, when I told you guys what the recommended sleep hours were, most of the teenage clients that I see report to me that they get six hours a night. (sighs) Ah. Stress and anxiety, what am I seeing in my office? This is what I'm seeing in my office. Some of this may sound familiar to you, some of it may not. I'm seeing kids that are academically paralyzed. I'm seeing kids that were in student council last year and can't even go to class this year. I'm talking fourth grade, fifth grade. I see kids that are quitting sports. I see kids that are acting out. I see kids that are withdrawing. I see kids that are playing too many video games. I see kids that are freezing on the basketball court. Now you may take each one of those situations individually and you may not realize that it's anxiety because your child isn't coming to you saying, I'm scared to death, I can't go in, I'm frightened, Um, I'm sweating, my heart is racing. Us, Us practical adults go, oh, well, he or she must have anxiety. They don't know what they're experiencing. They just know that it's scaring the you know what out of them. They know that they're not themselves And they know that they don't feel that they have the confidence to be the person that they were just a few months ago. And with each failing grade, with each failing test, they tell themselves, yep, I messed up. Something wrong with me. I can't get a handle on it. I am watching students that are over-exercising to calm their brain. I'm watching students detach from their families That's just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm seeing stuff that is a lot more dramatic than that. I'm seeing drug use. I'm seeing self-harm. Our kids are burning out, yet we keep piling on tasks. This was a quote I found earlier this week, not my quote. Our kids are burning out, yet we keep piling on tasks and raising the admission requirements for their future. They are 16, 17, and 18 years old. Remember, not fully developed until they're 25 or 28. We think that they're young and resilient and they can handle it. I mean, come on. They have five times the energy that we do. Of course I'm tired by 2 o'clock every afternoon. That guy, like, just keeps going and going. He's fine. They can't handle it, you guys. They are less developed than we are. They're little, fresh, new human beings, even if they've lived in your house for 12 years. It's not very long in the big picture. They are telling us in droves. We are seeing it across this country in droves that they cannot handle the schedules that are being placed on them, and we're seeing that in therapy sessions, literal panic attack and breakdowns. I've had two clients this week young clients who had panic attacks for the first time, and it is spinning them out. And we are seeing that in mental health prescriptions for kids, unlike we have ever seen it in decades before. Those of you that have heard me speak know that I'm gonna say this, but college freshmen are entering college at the highest rate of anxiety ever reported, ever. So maybe they're seeing it upon admissions, college counseling centers are seeing it at 18 years old but it's the years prior not the actual entry into college that's a factor that's a factor but that anxiety has been building 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 what we think is our little our our little independent children who are ready to be out on our own go out on their own and realize that they didn't they don't have the skills that they thought that they did I love this one down here, anxiety girl, able to jump, jump to the worst conclusion in a single bound. There's a lot of that going on. That applies to us as well. So in case I forget to bring it up later, I'm gonna bring it up loud now. Anxiety that I'm seeing in the kids in my office and my children's friends and their parents as well, some of that anxiety is actually tri- trickling down from the parents. True story. So I do know that if I have a child that lives in a household where mom or dad is actually diagnosable with anxiety, that child has been taught through living experience that that behavior is somewhat normal, that we should leap to the worst conclusion in a single bound. Okay, So that is part of their learning, practical, experiential experience. What I am noticing, however, is that we, out of love, care, and concern, and wanting our children to be the best little successful, that word is very dangerous and a tad bit toxic. We want our children to be successful, whatever that definition is for you. We are so concerned and worried that they won't be, so our anxiety tends to go up even though we think they won't notice or we have it in check, oh, trust me. They feel it. They know it. So I implore all of you, actually, to stay present. Because your child was not admitted to the IB program at DM does not mean that they are not going to get that college scholarship that you want them to at their dream school, and it is not going to impact the rest of their lives. It is not. I could really spend like a whole nother hour doing this. It is not. You become, we become so anxious that an event that happens today is going to impact them forever. It is out of love. We are doing this out of love that we are not present with them today. So we do not stop and teach. We don't say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't see that coming either. That must have been really hard. I know it doesn't feel good not to get something that you've worked so hard for. But maybe this wasn't meant to be. Maybe this just isn't your path. So cool, so let's, let's develop another path. Let's do it together. Let's be the best person you, you, child, not the person I think you should be. Let's be the best person you could be going down one of these other 12 paths. We live in this society and we live in this community where we believe there's one path. Well, there's two, <laughs> but all those really hard-working kids go down this way. Who the heck doesn't want their kid to go down that path? Me, I want them to go down that path. There is so much more richness in the other path, I promise you. My son didn't get into Brophy, and uh, my poor family, man, they get thrown under the bus all the time every time I give a presentation. Um, you know what, he wasn't sure he wanted to go to Brophy. And I will tell you, he, his mom's a therapist, poor kid. He's not a Brophy kid. Like I knew he wasn't a Brophy kid. I knew that wasn't a good personality match for him. But you know what? His dad wanted him to go to Brophy because it's Brophy. He went on campus, and he heard about the reputation. He was like, ooh, yes. Mom is secretly at home going, please don't get into Brophy. He's a Notre Dame kid. I just know him. He was way more Notre Dame kid. I will tell you, though, four years ago or five years ago, you didn't get a letter in the mail. You didn't didn't get a phone call. (laughs) You had to log in to this website, like on this one particular date. It was like March 3rd and he comes home from school and he logs in. I'm not kidding because I was present. This screen comes up and it's, of course we had an Apple 24 inch desktop. So it was like watching TV. This screen comes up, it's like this big and the entire screen basically just says like, no, in giant letters with like an exclamation. That's what it felt like. (laughs) But it was, a, it was one word and it was big. It wasn't rejected because that would be horrible, but it was like not admitted. Whatever the word was, oh, man. I don't even really think that he really in his gut and his soul wanted to go to Brophy. But he felt denied. And he felt like he failed. And he wanted to have the opportunity and the option. And you know you know what we made out of it? Awesome, bud. Now you don't have to make a decision. Sweet. And then I let him figure it out the rest of the way. I didn't talk him into believing that he wanted to go to Notre Dame. I didn't say, oh my gosh, this is so much a better fit for you. That's my stuff. I didn't need to rescue him from that. I didn't need to make it better. Not being accepted is a part of life. Right? So how are we going to make this good? An example. Symptoms of burnout. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. I'm just going to read them off to you because I have some other stuff that I want to um, bring up. But if you have any questions later, you guys can always email me. Depressive symptoms, I think we have a general idea of what that looks like, although it is a little bit different for teenagers. Anxiety, um, insomnia. Like I said, most of my teenagers are reporting to me that they sleep about six hours a night um, eating habits, I have one right now that's not eating a thing. And she's an athlete. It's a problem. Eating makes her sick to her stomach. She has, she's been eating less and less for so long that now her stomach has shrunk. So eating is challenging for her. Emotional behavior, you know, just kind of being unpredictable, kind of flying off the handle for no apparent reason, kind of like it doesn't, the punishment doesn't match the crime. Physical pain. Most people do not know that depression, um, burnout, anxiety actually shows up in your body. Depression itself actually sits in your joints. It's Once you guys know that, it's actually really cool. So all of those unexplained aches, pains, I have this throbbing down my right arm, My knee is acting up all of a sudden. I haven't done anything to make it act up. It causes a chemical reaction that creates joint pain. Missing periods. So many young girls that are missing their menses because they're stressed. Stress absolutely shows up in your body. So stress creates a a flight or fight reaction. Okay. So... um, We, our body, releases more cortisol when we feel stressed. It's coming from back here. When we feel stressed and we we have a really hard time, the death of a friend, the death of a parent, believe it or not, all of us psychologically, um, feeling like we're going to lose our jobs, we go into fight or flight, and it's a great coping skill. Fight or flight is a coping skill, but it releases a chemical that makes our body wait for the next shoe to drop all the time. And we are actually killing it. Like, we're like, bring it on. Because I'm so calm right now. Like, I got this. I have to stay hyper-focused. I got this. Our kids are doing the same thing. That hyper-focus, that's fight or flight, and that's your cortisol. The problem is, once your cortisol goes into overdrive, biologically, it takes one to two years to bring it back down to the levels that it should be at and that creates a type of emotional dump. So um, the heightened rate of cortisol actually creates a a reaction in your body where young girls will not have their periods. So moms, watch out. I mean, ask the question. if If your girls are expressing some symptoms of anxiety, ask them when the last time it was that they've had their period. I know you guys did not know you were gonna have sex ed today. Okay, true story. That's a part of some health issues. The flu that they just can't kick. A cold that they just can't kick. It's because chemically their bodies are depleted. Nervous behaviors, picking at their nails, picking at their eyebrows, picking at their eyelashes, cutting, obviously, um, and risky behavior. So let's talk about that. So we've had some issues lately. I know you guys all live in the same neighborhoods that I live in, I've been worried. My phone was buzzing like mad last week. I just told you my daughter goes to Notre Dame. You guys, I don't hide from this stuff. I'm not going to not talk about it. And it's in my office. So full disclosure, I'm just going to call this out right now. I have permission to say this, I have asked the family if I can say this. I lost my first client. In 17 years of practice, I lost my first client in November to an overdose to Percocet, 18 years old. I'm still crushed, I could cry right now. I'm crushed. I'm devastated. It was sudden. He was in my office four hours before he took. Dr. Jill, I'm so great. Dr. Jill, I'm so wonderful. Dr. Jill, this is the best I've been in a really long time. You all know what's been on the news in the last week or two And I'm not surprised by any of it, because I've been hearing it in my office for about as long as I've been hearing anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. The last two years, it has retched up. And I will tell you, it's at your school, too. I can actually, but I won't, probably list schools where I know it's an even bigger problem and or the biggest problem in SUSD, because God bless these little kids, trust me, and they tell me everything. I know some of the ones that sell it. I know a lot of the ones that take it. There's cocaine in bathrooms. There's Xanax. There's Percocet, and there's wax everywhere. So I put these up because I know that I'm fortunate enough to know because I'm trusted And by the way, it's not my kids. My kids aren't telling me this stuff. Heck no, they're my kids. It's other people's kids. They're like, she's cool, she listens to my music, she walks into therapy in her chucks. You can't tell my grandma, can you? You can't tell my dad, can you? You know the rules, I can't. Really? And then they test me and they test me and then they tell me more. So I'm fortunate enough, but I want you guys to see these things and I want you to know what they look like and I want you to be aware of them and I want you to know That drug use, serious drug use. At young ages, that's a lack of coping skill. So I don't know what was showing up on your phone in the last week. I can tell you what was showing up on my phone, and it wasn't nice. I don't judge any single one of these kids. I don't judge the kids that's selling it. Nope. My heart was hurting for that family, hurting, and hurting for him. It's a lack of coping skills. Our kids today also really like immediate gratification. So they think if they can buy a pill for five and they can turn around and sell it for 10, they have some extra money in their pockets. It's not our kids that are putting the fentanyl on the pills. It's not the young kids. They're buying it. This is how it works. The 15 to 17-year-olds? Are buying it from 20 to 22 year olds on college campuses or just down the street in North Scottsdale in their apartment complex. And those kids will actually come to your gated community and wait outside in their car and say, Yo, Derek, I'm outside. Hey, mom, I'm going to go walk the dog. That's how it happens. Walk the dog, come back, they have 10 pills in their pocket that probably only cost them 20 bucks. Those 20 to 22 year olds are getting them from somewhere else, they're getting them from the street. They're getting it off the internet. Three three people down the lane are the ones that are lacing it. I'm not saying this is an excuse. I'm not saying to make all of it better. I just really want everybody to have an understanding. Because I think as a community, we get scared and we point fingers. You don't really have an understanding for how it all goes down. And these kids need coping skills. And I see a lot of them, and they've experienced a loss in their life. They've experienced a death. They are feeling overwhelmed. They just need a break. Their friends try and Xanax. They say no, 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 no. And then one time they say yes. And then two weeks later, they say yes again. And then all of a sudden, I'm just using Xanax on Fridays and Saturdays. Okay, well, maybe I'll use it on a Thursday because I don't have a test on Friday. So I can use it Thursday night, and it'll just put me to sleep. And then pretty soon... They're using it before school. It slowly becomes a coping skill that they think they can rely on. Most importantly, I want you guys to see that this is a wax pen. I don't know if you've ever heard of a wax pen. I say wax, and most people look at me like, what? Okay, wax is a highly concentrated form of marijuana. It comes, it's in like a tar form. Usually it can come in an oil. You put it in a pen that looks similar to that, although there are 20 different types of pens. You can just order them online. I just looked that up online, and they're like $12 or $20. It's highly, highly concentrated. So it's not like marijuana, and I can tell you in the state of Arizona, if you are caught with wax on your person and a wax pen... It is a heroin charge. That's how serious waxing is. So I have kids. I'm a realist. I try to relate to my kids. It's way harder to relate to my kids than it is to the kids that come into my office. But they know that that mom has a like straight-across rule. No pills, no waxing. If I say no nothing, I'm not saying Oh, please go drink. I'm not saying those words, of course. But if I say no nothing, they're not ever going to come to me, ever. So hard rule at my house, never take a pill. I do not want anybody in my home waxing, ever. Highly addictive. I need to move on because I could keep going. Just wanted to inform you guys. Coping skills, it's a lack of coping skills. Today I'm feeling overwhelmed, anxious, stressed, worried, but I have so many things to do. I hope now you guys can see that lack of coping skills plus mental fatigue is actually what's leading to all of the anxiety. And I want you just to be able to step back. At some point today, please, five minutes today, Make yourself sit somewhere quiet and make yourself step back to your youth. Because I think we've forgotten. The reality is, guys, we have forgotten. We go, oh, well, I do all of this stuff. He can do it. I had a rough childhood, too. I don't want to hear this mamsie pamsy Our children are so entitled today. Yes to all of that. Like, yes to all of that. What was your childhood like? What was your day-to-day like in reality? Did you go to school? Did you have a single mom? You might have. And did you work? You might have. And that's a big deal. That was my dad. I love that man. But I would argue that our kids today still do more. Okay, I got to make this quick because I have five minutes. How can parents help? Don't call the teacher. Don't call the coach. Don't call the friend's parents don't react to hurt. Let me talk on that really quick. There is an unwritten rule that in high school, most certainly, you never, parents, that's time, you got to back it up. You never call the teacher. You never call the coach. (laughs) You never call friends' parents. So, this little guy that's in my office, he's 14 years old. His mom brought him in, and she's like, He's having all this anxiety. He just had a big fight with his friend. He didn't make the middle school basketball team. You know, I think he's really anxious, but I'm going to talk to the boys. I'm going to talk to the little boy's mom. I'm going to talk to the other boy's mom. And her son's on, on the couch, like, Oh my God, please don't. Please don't. Please don't. And she's like, Buddy, are you anxious? Like, I was in the hospital last week. Are you anxious? I think maybe you're anxious. And he's like, No, I'm good. Like, that's all you. That's all you in your head. And she's like, Why are you playing so many video games? Like, I just think you're not you're withdrawing, you're not hanging out with your friends, you're just in your room. She leaves the room, and it's just he and I, and he goes, Jill, you want to know why I play so many video games? I'm not withdrawing. I just need a break for a couple weeks. I'm freaked out. I go to school, then I go see a trainer, then I go to basketball practice, then I come home, and I have homework, and oh, wait, And we're moving in three months. Okay, but as parents, we probably didn't know that. And we probably didn't see that that's how he's like, nobody expects anything from me when I'm playing a video game. I go to release. I go to escape. I don't have a problem. He doesn't have a problem. Maybe step back and go. Is that why my child is playing video games? Nobody expects anything of them there. And that's okay. Give them that for a little bit so that their brain can rest don't react to hurt what we do is we see our child that's hurt um Mr. Smith did this he called me out in class Mr. Smith um graded my you know project unfairly and we go oh my gosh he's so busy he has so many things to do I got it Alex I'll make a call tomorrow don't you worry about it no let Alex go in and talk to Mr. Smith if that is the road he chooses If not, natural consequence, his grade won't be what he wants it to be. And that's on Alex. But it would be so much more gratifying and um, educational if Alex had the difficult conversation himself. Do. Stop, think, and teach. Put on the brakes and really listen. Have a come to Jesus with yourself. Start small. Role play, role model. Okay, what all of that means is when your child comes to you with hurt and pain, please don't react That's see, we're reacting to hurt because we want to help. And we do know that they're really busy. You need to sit back and actually listen. Don't tell them how to fix it. Don't tell them what you're gonna do to fix it. Listen. Listening is not interjecting. Listening is not necessarily giving advice unless it's asked of you. Listen and then go, okay, so how are you thinking you're gonna handle that? What are you thinking? Give me a couple options. Role play with them. So powerful for kids. So, so powerful. There was this young boy that was having difficulty um, with one of his teachers. He came home and told his mom. And she's like, I got it. I'm calling tomorrow. I'm calling administration. And he goes, Mom. He was 14. Two minutes, Adam says. Two minutes. He goes, Mom, I wasn't asking you to call the vice principal. I just wanted to tell you. Like, I just needed to process this with somebody. Oh, my gosh. Powerful. Two years later, he's in college. He calls her from the car and goes, man, I had this situation with a professor earlier this week. And I just want you to know, like, I, I made an appointment with the TA. I went in. I talked to him. I showed him the thing. I told him where I thought it was unfair. I did it. And she went, oh, my gosh, son. Like, that was amazing. He hangs up. His friend goes, was that your mom? She didn't try to tell you that you did it wrong. She didn't try to tell you how to do it. She just listened. If you listen, they are more apt to come to you when we really want them to. Do you want me to show you the picture of the pills and the wax pens again? Don't fix. Listen. Fixing hinders skill development, and it robs children of confidence. We want them to have to face the difficult things themselves. If that means quitting choir, make her go in and do it. By herself don't write the email oh and she's gonna be sick to her stomach but when she gets home she's gonna be like it was okay it was okay I did it it was manageable all right last slide here's your kid I'm doing great I'm still good pulling a little anxiety pulling a little stress behind him I'm fine don't worry about it that is reality that is what we hear over and over and over again, yet the load that they're, they're carrying behind them is heavier and heavier. I'm fine. No, really, I'm okay. I'm okay. Stress, stress. I'm okay, I think. This is when they come in and see me. I want us to get it here, not here. Thank you for listening to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Homily Podcast. We are Christian Disciples in Mission.